This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 382. And welcome to Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by my longtime co-hosts, Jacob Paulson and Matthew Marister. Hello, hello. Hey, it's true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, it is true. Uh, 382 episodes. It's actually, this, this basically at this point marks, Jacob, about four years. I think we're a little bit under four years since we started the podcast. Yeah, February 2016, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like the first week of February, if I recall correctly. Like, literally just after SHOT Show. So, pretty crazy, you know? That's a long time to still do, be doing the show. There's a lot of shows that don't last that long. There's a lot of TV shows that don't last that long. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Including some good ones that, you know, they're always those ones that you're like, oh, it's such a cool show. Oh, I didn't get picked up for a second season. Dang it. I just wasted like a year of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and some of you have wasted four years of your life listening to us. Uh, no, hopefully that's not the case. Uh, you keep coming back because I'd like to think that we have something worthwhile and uh, valuable to uh, share on the podcast. Apparently, I got a muted tab over here. But anyway, hey, real quick, uh, Jacob wanted me to make sure to mention this for the audio podcast listeners that... You know, if you haven't looked at it in a while, or if you're just if you're just discovering the podcast, uh, particularly if you're using some of the apps like Apple Podcasts, I'm going to actually look there right now and see what the l- earliest episode is that you can find. But you cannot find the earliest episodes of the Concealed Carry Podcast in the Apple Podcasts app, and I suspect that's true of a number of the uh, podcast apps out there because I think a lot of them almost just mirror what Apple puts out there. So right now I can go back to episode 41. That's crazy. Yeah, I think it, I think it's I think it's set up 300 or 350. You know, it's some arbitrary number of most recent episodes you can access. Yeah. Well, 41. I mean, 381. 381 is our most recent published. Pod episode, I think minus forty one. It's like you know three hundred and forty episodes. Kind of weird, weird number, but that's the truth. So if you want to get our earliest episodes of the podcast that exist, uh, best place is probably just to go to our website. You can go right to podcast.concealedcarry.com, and you can find all the podcasts right there, all episodes. So I know that's going to come up for some of you that are like, "Hey, where do I find the earliest episodes?" Well, go to the website. You can find them. Not that hard. Not as convenient maybe as Apple Podcasts for some of you guys or Google Play, but that's that's the deal. Today's episode is brought to you by LaserX. LaserX is the software, I think, to use for laser-integrated dry fire training. Uh, Jacob and I have been using some version of the Laser App software for several years now. And uh, yeah, I mean... I, I just love it. I, I don't ever get tired of using it. And it's actually, I use it more now than I was there for a while because the new newest version, Laser X, works with my iPad, works with my iPhone, works with my MacBook, works with my Windows-based computer because it's a web app, which is cool. I think it's genius. And it works, surprisingly, really well. So use it with a cert pistol, use it with a laser cartridge and a you know, a live fire gun, you know, that you've made safe and loaded that laser cartridge in, use it however you want, but get very valuable dry fire practice with laser X and you can sign up and learn more at laser app. By the way, that's L A S R 
app.com. Anything else you want to add, Jacob? Uh, it's sad that they had to finally bow their heads to all you Mac people out there. <laughs> I don't know what the problem was. Windows seems fine, but I, I am I am grateful to be able to use it for my phone. So yes, you can learn more yeah. and get it and awesome stuff. And I would also encourage you if you're already a, if you're already a user of Laser or if you're not, but you're considering it, go to shooterreadychallenge.com. Mm-hmm. And check out the monthly dry fire drills that are posted there. And I think you will get a lot of value from that. Yep. Yep. ShooterReadyChallenge.com. In fact, we just talked about that last episode. So go check it out. Um, also, wanted to mention, not necessarily a, a sponsor spot here, but we wanted to we wanted to make you aware that the ConcealedCarry.com YouTube channel, well, our videos are now on GunStreamer.com. GunStreamer.com a more gun-friendly, in fact, very, 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 the most gun-friendly you could be version of YouTube out there on the interweb. So gunstreamer.com, you can find our new concealed carry channel on there. Super excited about that. Even these episodes, they don't go out on GunStreamer live, but, you know, like an hour or two later, they should be right up there. So pretty excited to be on GunStreamer, finally. Yeah, Yeah, make it happen. Yeah, so go to GunStreamer.com, search for the Concealed Carry channel, and subscribe. Make sure you hit the subscribe button, all right? It shouldn't take that much effort for ConcealedCarry.com to be up there in some of the top channels on GunStreamer. So if you guys want to see us up there, well, go hit that subscribe button. And so, again, today's episode, well, we kind of mentioned in a preview before we went live uh, that today we are actually talking about breaking down, analyzing the West Freeway Church of Christ uh, shooting that happened a few weeks ago in White Settlement, Texas. And yeah, traumatic event. Many of you, if not all of you, are at least in some fashion familiar with what took place. Dang near everybody knows Jack Wilson's name by now the uh, the hero of that day. So, you know, we, we gave it some some time, some room to sort of breathe and let things sort out and uh, settle down. And now we've decided that we're going to talk about that and talk about some lessons learned. And I think that's the important thing, right? So I'm going to start off, uh, guys, uh, with a caveat that uh, nothing that we talk about today is intended or should be taken as any criticism or picking on anybody that was involved in this uh, regrettable event that happened on that day. All right. So it's, you know, if we, if we say something, well, this person might've done this or they could have done this, or maybe this might've been something that could have been done differently, whatever it is, this, this is meant as a lessons learned. This is meant as a, what can we take from this? And yes, call it Monday morning, armchair, quarterbacking, whatever, but that's a part of learning and looking at experiences like this and then asking ourselves, what can we do? All right. That's the important thing is that we look inward and not place any blame on people that were involved in that incident. So there's the caveat. Now I release you brethren. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to take, to take the first bite out of uh, a pretty, like, again, there's, there's a lot here. There's a lot to talk about. So, um, perhaps maybe a good way to do this is to spend a, probably what it'll take probably three to five minutes for me to kind of go through what happened, roughly summarize the actions, and then we can kind of get into you know some analysis. Yeah, and I've got uh, I got the video queued up 
which I think is worthwhile. You know, YouTube was working really hard to keep that from being out there, which I mean, when it's something like this, this was aired live. Let's, let's be, you know, like that's, that's the thing here. This was aired live. It was, I think on church service was being Mm -hmm. aired live. So, so when this shooting happened, I mean, there's people worshiping from home that saw this happen live, which is kind of, that's that's really sad to think about honestly mm-hmm. uh what a shocker right um and then the video was you know being taken down uh you know repeatedly uh it's it's now more out there and and big channels like uh john korea's act of self-protection he did quite a nice analysis of it as well and it's it's out there in that form but i have it here i have it prepped jacob if you want to walk us through this i might have a little more detail to interject as i've done some very like painstaking not actually wasn't that difficult but i've done kind of some frame by frame analysis mostly from, well, i don't know uh, if i want to do this if i'm just going to get inter- interrupted by you the whole time <laughs> this, uh, that doesn't sound very fun <laughs> no i'm going to let you take the lead but i might okay. come back and uh point out some like time sure. time stamps if you will okay like, yeah so go so, ahead basically what you have here is you have a congregation of peeps i think uh you know from the video you can count about 142 people but i think later law enforcement said there were over 200 people uh, there. Uh, it looks like predominantly, you know, older senior citizen type people and uh, at least 10 kids that you can see from the video that are, that are in the room. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that, that's kind of where we start now from, from kind of hit play on video about two seconds in the shooter stands up by shooter. I mean the bad guy. Okay. The bad guy stands up and approaches an usher uh, that's kind of standing in the back of the room. And at that point you can, you can clearly see two of the church security team people really kind of watching the BG's behavior, just keeping an eye on and looking at, and the, right. a kind of a conversation ensues between an usher and our BG at about 12 seconds in the usher kind of points toward the back doors in response to an unknown question, right? Like the, the they're asking, maybe he's like, where's the bathroom? I don't know. But the usher points and says, you know, that way kind of thing. And again, both security team members are clearly watching this person, which would make sense because this person is dressed very bizarrely, trench coat, uh, wig or mask and just all sorts of awkwardness. Okay. So you, you know, anyone in the room would be like that. That's weird. What's up with that dude. Okay. Now. So, uh, okay. So that's where we're at about the same time. The usher points toward the back doors at the same time, the seated security team member who has been watching this whole time kind of gestures for the shooter to follow him sort of like, Oh, you're looking for the bathroom. Like come with me. I'll show you where the bathroom is. Right. Like I will, I will escort you to the bathroom. One second later, 13 seconds in, the shooter pulls out a shotgun that was concealed in his, in his clothes, okay, in his coat or whatever, and points it at the usher. Now, at this point, well, we don't know if this is an active shooter event. Like if, if I'd been sitting in the congregation, it could be an armed robbery. Maybe it's like, hey, you guys got any money? I don't know. Uh, but, uh, you know, at this point, shotgun's just being pointed, okay? So you see at this point, well, the security team member who, pre- who was seated and was previously kind of waving like, hey, I'll, you know, I'll escort you. That person starts to stand. At 14 seconds, you can see they're almost fully standed, standing, and they're reaching for their gun. One second later, at 16 seconds, they've fully drawn the firearm. But it's not at the ready position. It's not pointed on target. They just kind of they got this jacket out of the way, got my gun, and it's coming out. Okay, But in the process of drawing this gun, the, the BG kind of sees this movement, no doubt, out of the corner of his eye, sees that we got a good guy over here reaching for a gun or something, or maybe he sees the gun even, and he just turns that shotgun, a very minor angle necessary, away from the usher toward the security team member and fires. Okay, And that's the first shot fired. 
And at the same time, you can see our second security member, who is who's Jack Wilson, who's standing kind of you know further away, back further back of the room. He's drawing his gun. You can see he's got about three o'clock. He's got his uh, like sweater or over shirt, you know, kind of uh, pulled out of the way, and he's going for his gun. So as the shotgun is still re- recoiling. I mean, you, you can see at, we're at 17 seconds in. First shot's been fired. It was fired at 16 seconds. So at 17 seconds in, you know, you can see all this has happened. Um, our, our shooter is losing grip of his gun. You know, clearly he's not an expert shotgun shooter because, you know, the recoil is enough for him to kind of stumble and lose his gun a little bit. Uh, and, and things are not good. So uh, at, at this point, a, an interesting thing is worth pointing out is the people in the congregation have no idea. A shot's been fired, and very few of them have even like turned. I mean, maybe half of them are kind of glancing toward that that direction. It's only one second later. Like our reaction time to that kind of thing is is, is slower than we'd think. Okay, so that's you know, no one is standing at this point. Like, none, not a single yeah. person has stood up to run away. Okay, now at eighteen seconds in, now we're two seconds from the first shot fired. Okay, our second security member, Jack Jack Wilson, he's got his gun out. It's almost in the ready position. He's ready to present a target. Uh, but at this point, our shooter, our BG, has turned his shotgun back toward that initial usher and fired his second shot. So first shot fired at 16 seconds in, second shot fired at 18 seconds in on this video. So not a lot of time between those two shots. That but second you, shot, sorry, I am going to It occurs yeah, right about this point, and you can see that uh, Jack Wilson still at this point just has his hand on the gun in his holster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he's, he, I think it's cleared the holster at this point, but I don't think you know. I don't think he's come to present a target at all. But you do yeah. start to see more reaction from the from the congregation now. We're two seconds from the first shot. The second shot's just been fired. You see the pastor yeah. up at the front. He's starting to get low to the ground. You see a lot of people looking. You see a couple of people with hands over ears, right? Loud noise. You know, heads are turned. But still, at this point, not a single person has stood up. You know, so it's it's still pretty fresh in terms of reaction time and what's going on. At 19 seconds in, three seconds since the first shot, okay, our shooter is turning toward the pastor with his shotgun, and our uh, our good guy, our Jack Wilson guy, he's pretty he's he's about presented to target. I mean, he's he's pushing gun out and looks like he's about to take his shot at this point. So that's three seconds from the initial shot being fired. That's 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 pretty good. Uh, and at this point, again, you see more reaction from the audience. Most people are laying down or ducking in their pews. Okay, the pastor is almost fully prostrate on the ground. He's about to get take a take a shot toward him. At this point, the the shooter takes a step toward the pastor, toward the front of the sh- the, the church. Okay, and this and our security team member Jack Wilson fires a single shot over. You know, all these people are sitting in their pews, and maybe over one person who's semi standing up at this point. Kind of hard to tell from the angle of fire. And and this this shot from Jack Wilson shoots our bad guy, our BG, in the head. Okay, as he gets shot, his finger does press the trigger again on that shotgun, causing one final third shot to be fired toward the pastor on the stage. But this fi- this shot does not impact anybody. Uh, no no injuries from this third shot fired. That's now now the action's over the shooting is done okay it's it's you know it's it's we're 20 seconds in four seconds since the first shot was fired and we're done no more shots are being fired most of the people now in the congregation are on the ground that's the most very i don't i didn't see anybody like get up and run and maybe a couple people are standing but for the most part everyone's just hit the ground they're they're down off the off their pew going under a bench a couple in the back here that are yeah they're standing maybe they're gonna they're gonna run they're starting to go sure sure yep 
the the pastor is completely prostrate on the ground. I mean, he's he's completely uh, out of the way. Okay, and and now we see a, the security team member Jack Wilson. He starts to move toward his threat. He's verifying the threat is down, and and uh, you know, right about twenty seven seconds in, eleven seconds from the first shot, we see uh, some additional men. Um, getting up now to see what's going on by th- by 30 seconds in, which is 14 seconds from the first shot, 11 seconds from the good guys shot. We have four total armed security members with guns out moving toward our downed BG yeah. within with another six seconds. And you have now a total of five armed people uh, moving in on the BG. So that, you know, that, that kind of is the, is, is the rough, you know, summary of the action. That's what happened. Based on the video. Yep. Yeah, you got it. Uh, That's a pretty good summary, Jacob. Uh, So, you know, I went through and did uh, a frame-by-frame analysis, meaning really like what I did is I basically – this this video we're viewing right here on the screen is in 30 frames per second. So it makes it pretty easy to do some math and get pretty accurate uh, timestamps as far as like – there's obviously other things I could do to get like actual timestamps on the screen, that sort of thing. But I just counted frames and – so uh, from uh, just, yeah, like your times are pretty pretty close to spot on, but I was just going to back up here and kind of walk you through it real quick here. So we see in the back the uh, suspect, the perpetrator of this crime, is still talking to that usher there. And right about there, you see that little movement, like right in front of his jacket there, that little arm shoots out. Somehow he has that. It's a pistol grip, pump action. Well, I think it's pump action. The shots actually are pretty fast. And considering that the uh, shotgun recoiled like it did out of his support hand, maybe it was semi-automatic. I don't know. But uh, I, I I believe it was probably pump action. He just, I don't know. So anyway, you see that hand flash right there. And that's at, that's when he's basically, be- this is when the perpetrator is beginning his draw. It's right there. And from that, it's 15 frames, which is half a second, till he gets the shotgun out of his pants or coat, and then it's about a second before he gets it up to where it's actually aimed at, uh, at somebody. Um, at 36 frames in, it's 1.2 seconds. That's when we see our first security guard begin to actually stand. So from the time that the bad guy began his shotgun draw, it's about 1.2 seconds till he starts to stand. And he doesn't begin drawing until he really starts standing. You see his hands start to sweep back this way. And I've watched this quite a few times, and judging by the angle of his elbow and his shoulder, and I hate to get into the weeds too much on this, but it's I'm pretty confident that he's coming from small of the back, holster-wise, right? And I think, Jacob, it's probably that dreaded palm out that you don't care for because that's what you end up with, that chicken wing, when you turn your hand that angle to get that palm out draw on a small of the back holster. Don't get me started. <laughs> Uh, again, not, nothing here is meant to be a criticism. This is just pointing out, you know, the facts as we see them. And of course, I mean, not everything here is probably exact or perfect, but, but that's what I believe based on just, you know, I've seen this movement many, many, many times. Um, at 1.8 seconds, okay, 1.8 seconds is actually when we actually see a little bit of movement from Jack Wilson and we see movement from our first security guy, Okay. It's 1.8 seconds in from the beginning of the shotgun draw that we see them both actually begin to draw. So they actually started both drawing at the same time. And then we see that it's at 4.1 seconds in that the first shot is fired from the beginning of the shotgun draw, which again, it took about a second or so for him to actually get the shotgun out. 
So we have about, and this is pretty in line with what John Korea put out in his own analysis, about 3.1 seconds that this uh, first security guy had time to essentially do something or react. Be uh, 3.1 seconds until that first shot was fired from the time the shotgun actually came out. All right. And then uh, we see that shot. Uh, he begins to go down. And uh, it's at, I wrote down here, it's small though, at 5.7 seconds is actually when Jack Wilson finally begins pre- like actually presenting the gun, his gun. All right. So there's quite a bit of time there, right? Um, and I'm not trying to make too big a deal out of that. I'm just getting, just stating the facts. Like we see about three seconds that it's taking the first guy to get, get to his gun and start drawing. We see the first shot. Man goes down, second shot, he starts going down, and then about two seconds after, uh, well, not quite two seconds, a little less than two seconds after the second man is shot, that's when Jack Wilson's shot is fired right there. All right, so so from beginning, from when the man first moves to draw his shotgun to when Jack Wilson ends him is a total of 6.3 seconds. That's, which is both, you know, it's an eternity, um, and in that time, two two men are shot and ultimately die. But it's also incredibly fast how how fast that all happens too. From like bad guy shooting people to good guy ending him, six point three seconds in an active. I mean, do we know all the intents this man was gonna? You know what he was intending to do? No, not necessarily. But it certainly was looking like he was intending on killing more people. Yeah, uh, and that's my belief. And so we had a situation that could have been far, far, far worse, ended very quickly. Yeah, there, turn. <laughs> there were just a couple uh, like overhead, uh, big, big things to take away as far as the time hacks and stuff. That I did the same thing, kind of that you did. Um, but you know, we talked about you talked about six seconds, roughly around six seconds. Um, we have to back up before we even get to that point and, and say that the reason why the security guards were there in the first place or the security team members were there in the first place is they already identified this person as not somebody that they had ever seen at the church before. He was wearing a trench coat. Uh, he had a fake beard and, and, and a, uh, a wig on. So there are indicators that this guy was there um, and had some sort of uh mental problem that was going on. And so they had the, they had the one security guard sitting there close by. Um, and then Jack Wilson, the, the one security guard that's actually ends up getting shot first, his name is Richard white. Um, and so, um, he was actually, um, sitting to observe this guy and, and Jack Wilson was off standing a little bit further back. Um, but yeah, these guys, you know, the security team recognize this um, and Jack Wilson reacts quickly. Um, he does his thing. But if if Jack Wilson isn't there, the security guards aren't there, the security team isn't there. If you go through and you just have somebody in the in the con- uh, in the congregation that is armed, that first person, um, I believe it takes about uh, 59 we're like 14 or 15 seconds into the shooting before the first person is even able to start drawing their gun that isn't security team member. Right. So the importance of, I think that that goes to the importance of having a security team at the church, because when you're at church, 
this person's trying to draw their gun in a crowd and get through the crowd to be able to, to put an effective shot on this guy. And they weren't able to, they wouldn't have been able to. Um, so I think that's important to look at. Um, I, I, I think, you know, some of the big things that people were talking about as far as how many guns were actually drawn out there were, if you count it and you go through, there's seven people that ultimately end up pulling firearms, not counting the, um, uh, Richard who, who ends up getting shot when he's drawing his firearm. Right. So there's seven people. And, and what ends up happening is they all end up converging on the bad guy. Um, they, they, they get into a crossfire situation. Um, and, several of them as they are moving throughout the church it's apparent that they don't have a lot of firearms training because they're they're muzzling uh the rest of the congregation now like you said riley we're not here to like you know say hey you you know you should have done this and nitpick but if you are a member of a security team there has to be coordination there has to be some level of training because um that that crossfire situation could end up, uh, you know, you mistake somebody else for, for a, an additional shooter or law enforcement comes in and mistakes. And so I think um, we have to talk, you know, later on about um, maybe some lessons learned if you're on a security team or maybe if you're not even on a security team, but you carry in your church things that you can do because there's a lot of things um, that went down here that we really need to clean up, I think. Yeah, I think um, I'm going to just underscore that a little bit and, and add some other thoughts. Because I think that is, I think the biggest takeaways, you know, as far as like what can the most of us learn from this incident and these videos is this idea of an organized and trained response. And we don't, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe you guys know, or maybe other people watching this do know uh, how many people who had these guns of these seven people, how many of them are on the security team? How many of them are just random members of a congregation that happen to have a gun on them? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Um, what I do know is that having a bunch of people armed in the congregation is better than having no one armed in the mm -hmm. congregation for sure. But an organized response is about a 1 billion times more effective than an unorganized response. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, if I'm a person who's, who's hearing about this news story or I'm seeing this video and saying, oh my gosh, I'm gonna start carrying my gun at church or I'm so glad I have my gun at church or, or something like that, then I'm, I'm gonna be, you know, I think that you need to be asking yourself, well, am I part of an organized response or not? Because if there's already some sort of organized response in place, if there's already a security team or you know an emergency response team or whatever it might be, and I'm just some dude or dudette in the congregation with a gun in my in my pants or in my bag or whatever, then you know I'm you yes you have a right to defend yourself. I am not in any way saying don't bring a gun to to church. Like more power to you, but if you want to be effective at not just defending yourself and the family and a, a couple of those people in the pew next to you, but you want to be part of the overall strategy of ending a threat, you need to participate in the organized response. You need to approach a, a member of a leadership person and say, hey, you know, is there an organized security team in place? What does it look like for me to join that, participate in that, or at very least learn what they're doing? Maybe the mm -hmm. team is full. They're not looking for more people, or maybe this church is only got ex-law enforcement people because there's so many cops running around with badges at this congregation, and I'm not. But, but at least finding out that something's in place, letting those people know I'm also armed, FYI, and I'm bringing my gun. And, and finding out, you know, what are some of the procedures or practices that they have is going to go a long way. 
Um, now let's assume that you have, you find out there's no organized response at all. I go to church and, Hey, Mr. Leader, dude, uh, you know, wondering if we have a security team or what, what have you. And, oh no, no, we've talked about that, but my goodness, we've just never done it. I know a couple of the people in the congregation have a gun, but we just, you know, never really got, got to it. Now maybe there's an opportunity to, to have a, a bigger conversation about, oh, I'd love to leave a, lead a committee on that, or I'd love to participate in a committee uh, or be on that team. You know, I think that we could do some things. But, but I, the, the point here, the takeaway is it, is it is extraordinarily more effective to have an organized response mm-hmm. uh, where people are trained together, have policies, procedures. And, and I'll add, too, by the way, that me stuffing a gun in my pants to come to church does not prepare me for all emergencies, which are likely to take place in the church. It really, you know, there's the, the odds of there being some other issue are great, much greater than there being an active shooter. So a security team does a lot of other things. I, I, we had, a, a, you know, I'll give you two incidents that recently have happened uh, I, uh, on my security team in my congregation. One was a situation where we found a door that was uh, basically roped, uh, zip, zip tied shut. And as you know, as a Sunday morning, I'm like, why is this door like this? This against fire code? What's going on? And I had some concerns about, you know, it's, I'm doing a security patrol in the middle of a of the meeting. It's like, holy crap! Why would someone zip zip tie this door closed? Well, it turned out not to be a big deal. The the lock had been broken earlier in the week, so someone zip tied it because you know, otherwise the, the building would have been left unsecure. I had another one where a guy shows up at the, at the building, he's out in the parking lot, and he's just not dressed like anybody who comes to the church, and no one recognizes him. I grab another person, we do a contact, right? One of us is the contact person, the other one is cover, and we just, you know, hey, what's going on? Oh, I'm waiting for my, I'm waiting for my, my ex-wife. You know, uh, she knows I'm meeting her. She's just, I'm, you know, it's my turn to take the kids this week, and so as soon as the meeting's over, they're going to, you know, I'm, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, and it turned out to be completely innocent. Went, found the woman. Yep. Oh, yep. I knew he was waiting for me. You know, I'm going to pass the kids off. It was fine. But the, but the point is there's a abundance of things that are more likely to happen. So an organized response is the right response. Of course. Of course. Um, you know, I'm still absolutely willing and, and happy to have those that are not part of an organized team or plan that are there also caring because, you know what, they, they might be the, the last ditch, you know, fallback resort uh, option uh, in some of these cases. But, uh, you know, you have to look at uh, quite a contrast between this church shooting and the one in Sutherland Springs, mm-hmm. right, as far as the way they, they went, the way they ended. Uh, now they, they they started very differently. Let's be clear about that. The Sutherland Springs one, he he started actually shooting from outside the church and worked his way in. Uh, was also likely carrying a lot more ammunition. Um, I don't know what this guy had on him as far as the shotguns concerned, but uh, naturally that there, there's differences in those platforms. There's differences in how it was approached. Yeah, it's not apples to apples. Uh, right, yeah. right. But this one started inside the congregation, inside the building, and during the meeting, uh, this worship service, you know, and so uh, quite, you know, you know, the, well, what if Jack Wilson wasn't there, right? What if this church didn't really have much of a security team? Would there have been other armed civilians present? It seems likely, <laughs> based on the video evidence that we're reviewing here. Uh, would they have ultimately also been able to respond in an effective manner. Don't know. I don't know. Uh, But I do think it would have been very different. I think that this church was fortunate that even the altercation itself, occurring where it occurred, 
was very fortunate because it was kind of in the back corner mm-hmm. of this sanctuary and Jack Wilson was not very far from there, right? It could have been in a more central part of this congregation. That could have changed things in a big, dramatic way as well. So, you know, uh, I believe what you want to believe, but, you know, maybe maybe there was some divine intervention here. God's looking after these people. I mean, I believe that, but just as far as looking at why this played out the way it did, I don't know. We don't have all the answers to all that. But one thing I wanted to come back to here is, yeah, speaking of uh, these um, other individuals that, whether they're part of a team or not, uh, we see this man kind of in a red shirt, right? And he's, uh, and I realize those of you that are audio only aren't seeing this, but I'm, I'm doing my best to describe it. But we have this man that comes down the aisle, the center aisle, in a, with the He's got his gun out, and it's kind of in an awkward sort of half-compressed ready position, and it's just straight, just pointing straight towards where the threat was. And he comes right across this dude and that dude's head and Jack Wilson and all these people, okay? We have another guy in a black. He comes back here, and you actually see he's doing he's doing pretty well with his muzzle awareness. He's actually got kind of a high ready position. It's, it's, it's extended, uh, which is fine. It's, you know, he lowers it a little bit here, but he gets back up. He gets back up there, so that's good, all right? There's a guy and the gentleman in the back who's now coming up behind Jack Wilson. It's hard to tell what's going on there, but he's doing a pretty good job. He's basically providing Jack some cover, if you will. Uh, so he's playing the role of cover officer. Jack's now going up, and he's making contact. And, you know, it seems, I think at this point, it seems pretty apparent these guys realize that this dude is done. Um, and so they approach, and the shotgun is removed, and, and you know, end of story. Right about this this point, we also see the man in red who muzzled everybody in the congregation uh, tucks his gun under his arm rather than returning it to a holster and so he can pull out his phone and start dialing 911. Now, I commend him absolutely for, you know, now he's getting on the phone. Like, he, as far as we can see, there, there could other, be other people as well. There could be people hiding underneath the pews that are on the phone at this point already as well or somebody in the back out, out of the range of the camera. But the red man is the first man, first person we can see that actually is getting the phone out and placing that call. And that call is critical because that's when the clock starts ticking from when first responders are actually going to respond now. And that puts it in the context, too, as far as how the reason why if, if we can't have an immediate response to prevent, stop, end a mass shooting um, – you can see the amount of time that passed between when the shot was fired and when this man starts to finally place the call. And it's, it's about 30 seconds or close to it, right? Mm -hmm. In 30 seconds, you can shoot a lot of people, right? And then you still have the response time of law enforcement from, from that point forward. But I would say it's actually a pretty good job to get that call placed when he did. Now, as to why he's tucking the gun under his arm, I don't know. Uh, I agree this person likely is not as highly trained as we would like. Um, I hope that he's, you know, and all the other people involved in the situation came away from this and going, you know, there's a lot of things I could have done better and I could have done differently. But this is this is good for us to see and go, okay, where am I at currently in my current skill level and my current training uh, knowledge? Uh, how would I have handled this? How would I have handled this under stress? Right? Yeah. Uh, you know, th- these are all valid questions to answer. And a couple things, I mean, just based on my current analysis here is number one, we have to have to have to be constantly muzzle aware, knowing where that muzzle is pointed. And I'll tell you in a crowded situation like this, that muzzle up is probably the best way to be because you got people on the floor too. So muzzle up a high ready, uh, temple index, even I don't care, like, but somewhere in this relatively safe direction, the most safe direction that we can have based on the circumstances with a, a crowd of people like this. 
muzzle it, direction. Uh, if you got to do something with your hands, go hands on. Uh, put the gun away. Put it back in the holster. If you are carrying in a holster that doesn't allow you to easily reholster it, that's food for thought. Maybe you might consider a different way of carrying your gun so you can more easily reholster when it's time to do so and do so more safely. It's certainly you know preferred over tucking it under your arm and you're muzzling your arm and as you turn it sideways to tuck under your arm, you're muzzling more people. You know, it's just so lots of uh, lessons learned from from these uh, moments here in the aftermath. Yeah, and I think it's important uh, if you see how they all kind of converge on the bad guy. Um, oftentimes we think of tunnel vision as just like, okay, I'm excluding everything around me except this small, small thing. But somewhat of tunnel vision is also converging it and just focusing on one thing. And that's what mm-hmm. every single one of these, these people did. And they focus on this one one person and it drew all their attention there, right? They were, they were not focusing on anything else. And, and so if there were a second gunman, um, they're not going to be able, they're not in the correct frame of mind to be able to address that. Right. So if you do, if you're not part of a security team or your church doesn't have a security team and you have a firearm and God forbid you're in a situation like this, be aware of what you're seeing in front of you, if you see three or four people with guns on a on a bad guy, you don't have to be the fifth and the sixth and the seventh guy to, to or grail to point guns at a guy who's on the ground. Better to have the gun at the ready and be aware of other things that are going on and assess maybe there's somebody coming in, in into a different area or is there somebody shot? Where can I go to, to, to be a help? Um, I think, you know, sometimes we want to help so much and, and we get focused in on one thing and we don't end up actually um, being as helpful as we could. There, there was one person I, I saw it from the time the first shot was fired it was 11 seconds and somebody was going to the victims that were already shot. I mm-hmm. thought that was really, I, I, I was impressed because at that point, it, I, I don't believe that it was common knowledge that the shooter was down and completely not a threat anymore or that there wasn't another shooter. Yet somebody went over there to start assessing the, the victims. Um, and that was, that was uh, really commendable. That's something I was going to touch on too. Not you know, not just that they did it, but this is a good food for thought item relative to having the right medical equipment, um, you know, and and knowing where it is. You know, it, it, does your building, you know, does your church building have? And by the way, you can apply this to things other than churches. Oh yeah, right. Any Absolutely. any building where public converges, right? So so does, do you know where the first aid kit is in that building? Do you know what's in that first aid kit? Now is it is it properly stocked and and ready to go? You know, and and in this case, you know how. How much do you need? You know, do you need one tourniquet? Do you need five? You know, do you, do you need just a couple of rolls of gauze or do you need like 20? So, you know, having some some good, you know, foresight also relative to the first aid and those kinds of emergencies is really important. And, and without giving away too much as a teaser, our company is going to do something really big relative to medical stuff in February uh, and training and making that available so people can can get educated. But that that's a huge thing. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Matthew. That was top of my mind, too. Um, I found out recently that the church building I go to doesn't have an AED, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I was, I was just like, how, how do we not have an AED? And they're expensive. It's not a cheap little thing to just chuck in a first aid closet. Uh, but, but all the same, like, you know, thinking about what do we have there? What, you know, what is available to us? Is it properly stocked? Do I know where it is? Does everybody else, you know, if I point at a random person in my congregation say, go get the first aid kit. 
Do they know where that is? Like, do they have any idea what I'm talking about? Are they going to look at me like, oh, what, what, what first aid kit? Um, so that would be, that would be a yep. good thought. Absolutely. Uh, another thing that, that I've been thinking about as we watch this, I didn't think about it until just now when we were, we were discussing this, but you, know, you got seven people with guns out, all pointing them in the direction of the BG, not pointing them at each other on purpose anyway. And I got to assume they must have recognized and knew each other. Right. Otherwise, one would assume that hey, that that guy might be a second shooter, but that didn't happen. At no point did any of them think that any of the others of them were BGs, suggesting that they're all probably frequently attending members of this congregation. They recognize each other, uh, may or may not have all been on some security team together, but at very least they they like, oh, that's that's Bob, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep, Bob's got his gun too. Got it. Like over there's Billy. Oh, Billy's got a gun, you know. So so. What does that mean? What is what's the point I'm trying to make? Mm-hmm. Well, a couple things. One is, you know, if I'm in a congregation of a church or, or a situation like this, there's great value to being familiar with all the people there, right? To knowing who who who's there, like being friends with and friendly with these people. If I'm new to a congregation, or heck, I'm visiting. You know, me and Riley have done that before. We've been on business trips and go to some congregation or some church. Not, you know, you don't know anyone from anything, and they don't know you either. That changes things. You know, you might be very thoughtful about, you know, if I have, if I'm an armed responder here and six other people put a gun and I'm a guest, I'm new here, you know, they, they're just likely to see me as a stranger as the next guy, right? So we have other episodes where we discuss, you know, how to minimize your risk of looking like a bad guy and all those kinds of things. But it's just, it's worth noting that, you know, it seems obvious, but you might think to yourself, when I'm when I'm packing heat at church, you know, will, will, will I recognize the other people who who will come out with a gun, and will they recognize me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and you know, you 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 were talking about um, you know recognizing other people and kind of knowing, hey, th- this is where this person is, this is where this person's sitting, and, and whatnot, right? Um, I think, and and we talked about this at my um, my security team talked about this a while back, and then Terry brought it up on, on the comment and said, so many things to take away. Uh, very first thing I thought when I watched the first time was who's covering the pastor? And so, you know, the it, it might be counterintuitive for a lot of people to say, hey, I'm going to the pastor, even if there's a shooting in the back of the room, um, um, because, you know, the senior pastor, that might be the person who's preaching, uh, might be the one that's offended somebody and they're the, the you know, the, the subject of the attack. So to understand if you have a, tra- a, a you know, a, a security team is, you know, yes, I hear gunfire in the back. I look, I see Jack Wilson and Richard White and, and, and Tony Wallace over there and they're handling it. I'm going to go to the pastor because I can no longer help over there. They're, you know, they're, I, they don't need a fourth gun. Um, the pastor needs help. So, you know, maybe certain things like that, or maybe, you know, your, your role is to move out into the, into the hallway and go towards where the children's ministry is or, or something like that. Right. So um, I think knowing who is in your church, that's armed, having designated roles um, and, and, you know, can really help calm those situations down where it just doesn't you know, devolve into total chaos where people are running around and, and not really actually being beneficial to, to, to any of the problems, solving the problems. Yeah. Yeah. Good thoughts there. Uh, I, I agree. I was kind of, that was one thing I was looking at. I mean, kind of you guys, we just went from like not shooting each other, recognizing each other and talking about medical stuff. There's, there's a lot there. Uh, really valid points brought up. One thing I noted as well as uh, these, some of these other gentlemen were coming in uh, to the uh, kind of the middle por- portion of the 
uh, of the aisle there, uh, you look at their body language, all right, and kind of like how they're handling themselves. You're like this guy in black, okay? This guy here in particular, he, he doesn't look like an active shooter, right? Mm-hmm. His body language doesn't doesn't suggest that, right? Uh, you look at this uh, other guy here towards the back. He's climbing over the pew. He's got his gun in a low ready position as he's tactically approaching. Uh, you got the guy in the red is the one that kind of, if anything, he 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 would be the one that could be confused as as an, a second shooter because of his mannerisms in pointing his gun at everybody. <laughs> if that makes sense, and, and uh, skipping and hopping. Yeah, so so my point is is uh and this is why I've talked about it on the podcast before. I think body language is a huge part uh in in nonverbal communication in a situation like this. Verbal communication I think is also really key. And we don't grant there's a lot of kind of screaming and yelling and, and stuff like that going on, and that's understandable. And to that point, it's probably a little bit more difficult to communicate with people when when this is going on, right? Um but uh that nonverbal piece as far as if you're using good tactics, good, good, good guy tactics, right? Where you're being aware of your muzzle, you're keeping it oriented in a safe direction, at least where you don't have an active threat that you're addressing right in that moment. That's a good, good guy tactic. That's good body language that almost anybody viewing would be like, oh, that person, you know, is, they don't look threatening. Right, they look like somebody that's covering, searching, uh, you know, trying to find the problem, trying to solve the problem, not the person that's creating the problem. Uh, you go back and you watch the uh, bad guy here. You know, he very much pulls out a shotgun and it points where he, you know, he point it points it at people he's intending on destroying here, and then he turns it towards the rest of the congregation. So. Uh, very, very, you know, he's he's very much an active threat, and the body language is very different. He is searching for, trying to find targets to shoot, and it seems that he, I mean, it it does seem like he kind of goes right to that pastor next. Like he could have just started shooting people here in these pews right next to him. But uh, so let's back up a little bit. There is some some history here. Uh, the uh, the bad guy uh, apparently had frequented this church before. Um, some people were aware of that fact, at least. Now, whether he whether they recognized him on this particular day, because yes, again, he was wearing some kind of wig or hat or and a beard, a fake beard, and you know, clothing that's way out of place. Considering this is Texas, in I mean, the cooler months, but look how everybody else is dressed. At the very most, they've got uh, a, like a sweater vest or something. You know, this guy's got heavy coat coming in, all black, beard, wig, hat whatever, right? Very, very, very suspicious. Something isn't fitting right here. So so let's back up. Let's talk real quick about some general, I think, security things. And I'm going to start with, uh, number one, intercepting things in the perimeter before we get totally infiltrated into the center of the congregation here. Uh, and I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I sort of have something to say before we go there. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. Because I think you're, I think you're right. We do need to go there. But one, mm-hmm. one other thing I think was just noteworthy is that our, our the first guy, our first good guy to draw his gun, who is one of our victims, he's not, he's not coming home, right? He's mm-hmm. dead. Right. He was the first person shot, but he wouldn't have been the first person shot if he hadn't drawn his gun. You know, it, clearly our our BG had the shotgun trained on the usher. Right. And in the moment that he sees that he out of the whether it's the corner of his eye or he's looking right at it, he sees this other guy 
standing up, sweeping back a jacket, reaching for something, pulling it out. He changes his target. He goes from, I'm going to shoot this usher to, no, I'm going to shoot that dude first. And he does. He shoots him first. Then he comes back and still shoots the usher. So there, there is a very important critical lesson here about telestrating. Uh, telestrating. Does that, is that that's a word? not the right word. Telegraphing? Telegraphing. Thank you. <laughs> I like Tele- telestrating, though. I'm thinking of telestrations. It's a great game yeah. my family and I love to play. <laughs> so tell. <laughs> now I'm really t- tongue twisted. Telegraphing. Telegraphing, telegraphing your movements. Uh, and, 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 you know, is that what it's going to look like for you? And I, I suspect, based on my experience with our students out on the range, that the vast majority of American gun owners who are very committed to self-defense have never sat down and actually thought through, what's it going to look like for me to draw from a seated position? Mm-hmm. You know, if I decide to draw while seated and present versus if I'm going to draw while standing and present, uh, my, my sense is that majority of people have never thought through that, uh, you know, and, and, and practiced it and trained it. And this is a situation where, is it possible? I'm just going to throw this out there. And again, you know, we we are armchair quarterbacking, whether we like to call it that or not. And I just admit it and say it is what it is. And I'm, I do it only for the purpose of trying to make us all better for for tomorrow. But is it possible that if our that first security guy, if he had done a good job of drawing that firearm without telegraphing his movements, without even standing up, and just quickly drawn and presented and dropped that dude, could that have been the only shot fired? Mm-hmm. It could have yes. been. It could have yep. been because because the BG did not fire that his first shot that first shot out of the shotgun did not come until he saw someone else drawing a gun, and after that shot fired it was almost like well, I'm committed now right let's shoot this dude let's go shoot that dude. Mm-hmm. No, and I'm glad you're bringing that up. I mean that is part of my analysis of this whole thing. We haven't touched on that in uh, at, at a level of detail yet. Uh, I did touch on some of these things in Shop Talk just a couple days ago, uh, this most recent Shop Talk, talking about drawing from a seated position and kind of incorporated some lessons from this into that. And it's part of the inspiration why I wanted to talk about that in Shop Talk, uh, because you're exactly right that a, a surreptitious draw, it, things are very situationally dependent, of course, but a surreptitious or a, a concealed draw is oftentimes better than a really fast draw even. Right. In this case, this guy was neither concealed in his in his intent nor fast, and that's I think what cost. Like he, he basically it, it could have gone one of two, uh, one of three ways. One of those ways is the way it did go. Right, too slow, not concealing his intent. Another way it could have gone is a surreptitious draw, and he could have taken a little more time, perhaps even, and then dropped him. The alternative would be stand, but his draw could have been very fast. And he may still have been able to to live the tale of tale, right? And so, so that's just th- these are like tools in the toolbox, so to speak, right? Like knowing and understanding this concept of okay, do I have the opportunity here? And you know, you, you should be asking yourself in any situation you might imagine yourself in with a gun, where you need to use a gun, is this a situation where I can get away with a concealed draw, where I'm concealing the gun and the intent all the way through the draw until it's time to bring it out, and when you bring it out, you bring it out with full force. Or is this a time where nah, I can't get away with that? I don't have the time. I have to go, and I have to go now. Uh, in either case, I think you should have both skill sets. It's it's both things that you should be familiar with, and you should be tactically thinking about these things. And so, yes, in the in the man here that got shot first, it did not play well for him. Jack Wilson was more of a 
concealed draw, if you will, because I don't think he was even on the gunman's radar. He just didn't see him, wasn't aware of him. Uh, It appears that Jack was carrying openly, which is cool. I mean, in a church, no less. Um, But I don't I don't think he was. He doesn't have a jacket or anything on. He has a, he has a sweater or a second layer, and you see it go from, you oh. like you go from seeing like undershirt, not not seeing the undershirt, to that sweater or whatever coming up and seeing the undershirt. Well, I, I think it was from conceal. I could be wrong. Either way, I mean, point is, is he he had more time. He could take that time, and he was able to take the shot and not get himself shot in the process. But I will also point out that again, and this is nothing against our hero here, uh, but uh, from when he. Be first moved and began to draw himself to when he finally shot was, uh, let's see, it was more than four seconds. It was about mm-hmm. four and a half seconds. So even Jack himself took a lot. Now, some of that was he did get presented out, and he took about a second and a half to two seconds to, I think, follow the bad guy, line up those sights, take that shot. But it's entirely normal for average people and I would still consider Jack to be average. Yes, he had some training. Yes, he owned a gun shop. Yes, he was an instructor. But I would still consider him a pretty average Joe. Uh, it's pretty normal, I think, for people to have that initial hesitation, that pause, that, is this really happening? Is this really the action? I mean, like, I don't think Jack was expecting to have to draw and use his gun that day. And, it, you know, some people don't have any any hesitation at all some people do and it's completely normal and it's it's okay but i think it's important to be aware of and go you know what okay you know if i was in this situation how would i handle it well we may not always know all the answers to those questions but at least in my mindset preparation that i find myself doing i'm i'm going through this kind of scenario all the time uh this and others of course and thinking, okay, in that situation, this is how I have to react. This is how I have to respond. This is how this is how it's got to go down. Uh, it's all part of you know prepping. I think your mind ahead of time. Anyway, all right. So, there, was, there was also a difficult shot. You know, if Jack oh, hesitated yes. because he knew this is what's required for me to make this shot, then good on him for for having that skill, right? Because there's the skill of being able to make the shot. There's also the skill of knowing what shots you can make and how. Yes, and I know that he also said that there was some initial hesitation because, and you see it here actually in this view right here. Yeah. He raises his that, muzzle that there's a couple of people, a woman and maybe another woman kind of, kind of in between him and the bad guy, uh, at least very close. Uh, a few frames before that, uh, if I step it back, you know, you kind of, you can kind of see how this all plays out. You know, there's even somebody back here that initially gets even lower. So he said there were some people kind of in the way and that's totally understandable. But I'm focused a little bit more on the – there was a little bit of hesitation from – even from his – getting from his holster to getting into a presented uh, out, you know, you know uh, uh, stance to the target. So, anyway, just some things I noted there. Now, I know that um, – uh, actually, I forgot what I was going to say next. So, uh, I think, Matthew, you had something. Yeah, I'll, I'll just throw in one one quick thing is, um, and this is just an observation, and you may not be armed, you, your church may not let you be armed, right? Um, but there were two gentlemen um, that were in that corner along with the shooter, right? Um, so Tony and, and Richard, um, they had about five seconds from the time that he exit the shooter exited the pew and walked over to him to kind of gauge this person and say, we already had an idea that this guy was a little bit off. Um, and then that five seconds has something changed. Are we picking up more that now he's being becoming not just something's a little off, but 
definitely something he, he's giving signs that he's becoming aggressive or going to do something. They had about five seconds, which isn't a lot, but it's really important to try to pick up pre-assault indicators because as the one gentleman drew, right, uh, Richard, um, Tony, if he, you know, and, and I'm not saying that he you know he's bad for not doing it but if right. he would have gone towards the gun the, the shooter he had a long gun so you know you have two people one's drawing a firearm the other one could go hands-on and try to you know uh, um at least push that gun the 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 muzzle the 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 shotgun down or do something um it could have changed the outcome. And so um, don't give up or don't think that like, just because I'm not armed, I can't do anything. Um, right. If he had the offering plate, you know, maybe throws it at him. I mean, think of ways that you can be of assistance in, 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 don't give up because you don't have a firearm on you yep. or think that you're, you know, be aware, pick up on those pre-assault indicators, especially if you're as part of a security team or you're unarmed and in, in, those types of things, um, because Absolutely. they had the for, force multiplier, right? They had two versus one guy in that, in that corner. So. Well, and even right here in this moment that, that I'm kind of fast or I'm uh, playing back and forth here on screen, this is where we see that it's just after, uh, our bad guy has taken the shotgun out. And he's within one to two steps of the usher that he initially made contact with, right? And his attention is now at this point turned towards our first security team member that goes draws gun, right? So that's that would that would be the time to act. But the reality is not everybody is not everybody's a warrior, not everybody is prepared, right. not everybody is in that mindset, you know. Yeah, and I think that's important to real, realize as well and ask where where are you. Anyway, um, okay, so we, we were backing up a little bit, and I think we got, we got to go back there now. Uh, just real quick, talking about some general security things. First, if we could prevent this guy from getting into the congregation in the first place, uh, that's the time to do it, right, is to keep this from even getting to this situation in the first place. Now, the, the challenge is, uh, and Matthew, by the way, had to duck out, folks. Uh, he's got to go, but uh, Jacob and I will continue on here for just a little bit more. Um, but churches... In particular, places of worship have this need, and I think it is a need because a place of worship exists for, you know, the brokenhearted, essentially, for people that have a desire to congregate, to worship their God, their Lord, whatever. Uh, and, and so, and by nature, you need that to be a warm, inviting, welcome place. Right, and so I've seen a lot of comments the last couple of weeks about, well, they should have just had things really locked down tight on the outside. Well, if we have our churches look like prisons, then people probably don't want to go there, right? So, so the by nature of being a place of worship, it has to be warm, it has to be inviting, it has to be welcome, and you know, visitors welcome. It's on the signs of all of my churches, or you know, the churches in, in our in our uh, area here. So, you know. That's 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 also a requirement, but then you also got to balance that with the security aspect. Now, could there have been something more done here? Who knows? We don't know. We don't know all the details of what led up to this. You know, in all the various, I suspect there was some contact that maybe took place. I don't know for that for a fact, but it seems to me, but just because we have a couple of people are already on this side in this corner where this guy was, I think Jack Wilson was probably there because he probably took note of this guy and was like, mm, "I'm going to be kind of over this way, keeping an eye on this guy." Right. So clearly, there was some something that 
that they picked up on and I think they were dialed in on. Um, I would say this was, and I'll throw it over to you, Jacob. I would say that if police hadn't been called by this point, then they should have already probably been called. When, when you, you know, and I'll tell you what, working with our local agencies here, and we've been in some meetings with our local sheriff's office, uh, local police departments. Uh, we've been in some some uh, security and faith trainings. In fact, I just attended one a few months ago, where they've said, you know what, we'd rather you err on the side of caution. Call us if there's something out of place. Call if there's something weird. We'll come. We're here to support you, our churches. And I hope that's the attitude that all law enforcement has uh, wherever you guys are. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I, it, it's This is one of those things where it's really hard to really <clears throat> pass a lot of judgment, right? Mm-hmm. And every church is allowed to have its own policies and procedures about, you know, allowing admittance to people into, into the building and deciding under what circumstances you're going to refuse admittance to someone. But I think most churches do err on the side of everyone's welcome. And it doesn't matter how they smell or how they're dressed or how they behave. We want everyone to come in and only, to, you know, when they when they become aggressive or do something that we feel is inappropriate, do we take any action? And that's that's pretty normal. Um, now, this a lot of people might say, well, this 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 was a little bit extreme, right? I mean, this guy's in a trench coat. Uh, you know, it's pretty hard to to conceal a shotgun unless you got some pretty baggy stuff going on. He's got a a wig and a fake beard. Like I don't. I, I didn't. I haven't seen any close-up pictures, but that's generally the kind of thing that you'd notice. At least a fake beard. You'd be like, "That's that's super bizarre," you know. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. As as far as like refusing this person admittance, I'm sort of on the end of, "Hey, if he's allowed in, I don't see any security issue with that at all at a church. Uh, if he's not allowed in, uh, that's fine too. Like whatever that 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 policy procedure is that is followed." By the leader of that building, church, congregation, whatever, that's that's in their hands and that's up to them. And I I wouldn't draw any judgment on that at all. But mm-hmm. to your point, saying okay, this one crosses a line relative to potential risk, so I'm going to go ahead and call cops now. Uh, you know, you it, you have very little to lose. Yep. I think that's that's the thing that, we got to remember. Is, yeah, we always err on the side of oh, I don't want to be the hassle. I don't want to be the nag. I don't want to be the the guy who cries, cries wolf, you know. And so we we tend to not act. We err on the side of not doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, we're creatures of comfort, and and we don't want to stand out and do you know. But but this yeah, I think I think that this is one of those situations where hey, if the policy was let everyone in, all visitors welcome. That you still might say, yeah, but this 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 crosses a line on the bizarre side. We're going to go ahead and, and call police, and yep. and we're going to designate someone to meet them at the door and explain the situation and say, hey, you know, he's still just he's 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 acting a little strange, maybe, but we haven't seen anything crazy happen yet. Uh, you know, I, I think that that would be appropriate and fine. Yep, I, I think this is just this is good for churches and and places of worship to consider, and that is develop relationship with your local law enforcement, uh, make them aware of you, invite them in, invite them to uh, barbecues and dinners and things like that, uh, and make them aware of your own, you know, and that's actually what we have going on here locally uh, where I'm at, uh, is we're actually pretty well integrated with uh, particularly our sheriff's office, and and they're aware of, of our practices and how we operate, and they're keeping an eye out for us as well. I just kind of wonder, you know, like, what, what what about this? What about this? Consider this, particularly if you are involved in a church, wherever you uh, viewing or listening are. Imagine if you had a relationship uh, where you could, 
you know, in a situation like this, you're like, boy, there just is something off about this guy. Like, you know, it, it may it may be nothing. He may just be weird. He may just be a little bit whacked out. And guess what? He still needs the gospel like all the rest of us need the gospel. But, you know, there's just something off. And and you're able to place a call, maybe even to the non-emergency line. Like, you just have a number. You, know, you just call and say, hey, you know what? Can you Can you come and just... You know, either sit in our parking lot or maybe even have it. Can you imagine if an officer just came in and just stood in the back of the room? That might have actually completely changed everything about this situation. Where if that guy took notice of the cop, like, oh boy, um, maybe this is not the place to target today. And or he might have shot else. the cop first, who's got armor. And, you know, he might have come away with with some bruises and stuff. You know, so yeah, we don't know, right? Yeah. My point is, is like, just yeah, I, I think that we we should be well integrating our communities, and police is a part of our community. It should be. So something to consider. Um, you know, you touched on Jacob uh, talking about behavioral cues, suspicious behaviors, picking up on stuff like that. Uh, Matthew mentioned earlier, uh, pre-attack indicators. Um, these are things that, and if your security team isn't practicing or preparing or training on these sorts of things, then you should be doing that. And you should be learning uh, what these sorts of behaviors might be uh, like or what to look for. Uh, and then also you should be taking note of those things. I'll tell you, I've had a couple of times uh, some interesting characters come into my own congregation and I'll tell you, my spidey sense is dialed in, and I'm I'm watching them like a hawk, right? You know, I've never it's never been in a situation where it's like, yeah, that person's going to do something violent, you know, in the next minute. It's just you're a little bit weird, or there's something about you, and I keep my eye on you. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's totally an appropriate uh, response, and and uh, you know, we should we shouldn't let our guard down. We can still be warm and inviting. Uh, you know, our, our, our own strategy with our ushers, our security ushers at church is that they are a front line of defense, both in terms of they're welcoming everybody. They're shaking hands. They are smiling at them and saying, how are you today? Welcome. Thanks for coming and worshiping with us today. At the same time, they're also evaluating them and going, is this person someone that I'm going to keep be keeping an eye on? So I think that's that's just the way it's got to go in, in yeah. today's world. And generally, you know, if you have someone who's acting suspiciously, et cetera, you know, as I think they did in this case, sort of, kind of, at least in this church, is you also approximate yourself to that person. You start to take some strategic posturing. You uh, maybe assign an usher or somebody to go sit next to them and say, "Hey, didn't you know? Don't recognize you. Are you new here? How can I help you?" You know, you you take some proactive measures to maximize your odds of success should something happen. And so I think all that all that's appropriate. Yep. Real quick, just an overview of pre-attack indicators. Uh, I have a list here from a training I attended uh, a while back, and this is just a really good summary of some things to watch for. Assuming a boxer's stance. Invading personal space. We see that absolutely in this in this Texas church shooting where when he goes to talk to that usher, like you could see the way he's leaning into him. Like he's you could tell something's coming because of the body language. Clenching their hands, making fists, you know, like even when they're down at the side and they just start clenching, okay? Making verbal threats, uh, looking around the area, okay? Like just really looking. Now, that one you have to be kind of careful with because if you watch me, particularly in public environments, I'm always like looking around. It's just, I, I, I'm just wired that way. Um, and this is an interesting one. And and if you definitely are familiar with John Korea's active self-protection channel, you'll see this in a number of his videos where someone begins head or neck, um, rolls or stretches like the kind of like, particularly before physical altercations, like before fists start flying, you know, they'll start kind of, 
you know, and it's, it, I don't know what it is. I think subconsciously you're just the fighter sitting there thinking, okay, I'm going to get myself loose, get myself ready. And wham, here it comes. Um, tenses the jaw muscles looking really tense. Um, so those are, those are some, some, uh, pre-attack indicators. There's more, but those are probably some of the big ones. And just, I wanted to throw that out there. You know, maybe somebody listening here today goes, Oh yeah, that's a good point. Like I'll watch for that. And, and maybe something we share today is something that helps prevent something in the future. Never know. Yeah. One last thing that I think we have to address unless we already addressed it, but I think we got to talk about the headshot. Yeah. Uh, we, we definitely did touch on just this idea of, you know, knowing what's required to make a shot and Jack Wilson, you know, perhaps having the, the, you know, the ability to say, okay, at this distance, that size of target, this is what's going to be required for me to, to hit that, you know, with this gun and stuff and knowing that, but there's also just, <clears throat> I, th- I think a couple of things. One, I mean, if we, if we're doing analysis, then we have to accept that based on the statements from him, he, he hit what he was aiming at. Um, now that might have been the shot he had. So I think we could all say, well, you should have shot for center mass. And you know, maybe he, he didn't have the shot at center mass. You know, we, we saw that, you know, maybe people were in the way or whatever, and that was the shot he had. And that, so that was the shot he took. But I think more importantly, we have to say to ourselves, there are going to be situations in life where you may be faced with a deadly threat and your target is small. Your target is small. You know, it's, it's, it's the traditional hostage taker target or whatever situation it might be. And you need to be capable of, of making that shot and knowing what's required to make that shot. So I just wanted to come back to that and, and get that off my chest that what, you know, what decision Jack made, you know, whether he was skilled or lucky and like all that aside for you, who's listening or watching this, ask yourself, can I make those tough shots? And do I know what's required? Do I know how slow I have to, how much time I got to take? Do I know what kind of sight picture I have to have? Uh, and do I know I can do it? Yep. And, and, you know, knowing where you're at is step one, working on improving where you're at is step two. Yep. This is something I've thought about uh, a fair amount, you know, as I've attended church meetings as well, thinking about, you got kind of this wide open space and, you know, so, and I'll tell you, I'll say this much about church security teams, particularly if, if a church endorses and trains or, or puts in place an armed security team, they, they need to make sure their people are getting training and training opportunities. And that's a tough one because budgets can be tight. Uh, you know, and plus these are, these people are usually volunteers, which means, you know, they got to make time also to, to get that training as well. Um, but I think it's important because where people might be somewhat justified in saying, well, in most civilian contexts, I'm likely to need to use my gun in situations for threats seven yards and less. And, and a lot of them, you know, three to five yards. Uh, that's that's true for a lot, for a significant number of violent encounters. But when you put yourself into a public environment like a place of worship like this, you might have a long shot or a, a difficult shot to make. You might have other people in the way. One thing to note, did you notice how everybody, once the first shot went, it's about a quarter second to a half second, which is normal human reaction time. People all of a sudden ducked, and many people just started getting right down right away. I know that this is something that's often put out there by the anti-gunners. Like, well, we can't have a bunch of people hauling guns around like in public places. Like, people will be going crazy and running all over the place, and then you're shooting a bunch of innocent people. The reality is, I think human nature is, you hear a threat like that, uh, 
you tend, especially where you have, you're already seated and you have pews and you kind of sense that those protect you somewhat. Like, I think what we see in that video when everyone just sort of ducks and freezes and drops down, it's pretty natural human reaction. I don't think anybody, there's a lot of like, no offense, old folks in there. <laughs> you know, well, I've said this before too, but uh, you'd be statistically, the odds of you recognizing it as, as gunfire at first are also very limited. So yeah. e- even when the time, when the reaction does process, you say, just heard loud bang. Yes, I acknowledge it. Looking to see what it is. It, it, most people do not immediately recognize it as, oh, that's gunfire. I just, I just yeah. heard a gun. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you, you not only have to process that you heard something, but then you have to kind of look and say, holy crap, what was it? Oh, holy, there's a shotgun with that dude's hand. It was a yep. gun. Yep. Uh, and, and you, you do see those reactions too. If you watch again and again and again, you'll see some people that just straight up, just like they just drop and you see some people kind of get down, but they're looking around, you know, yeah, like, like, whoa, what whoa, that? what, what, you know, what's going on? Uh, yeah. So yeah, good observations there. My point here though, is that actually Jack had a fairly wide open shot for the most part, right? And, uh, but he had a pretty long shot and I like what you asked. You asked the question, Jacob, am I capable of making a shot like that? Do you even know? So I took the challenge a week or so ago and I said, you know what? I'm going to create my own Jack Wilson challenge. And, uh, you know, inspired by this, obviously I'm like, I have to know that I can make a shot like that. All right. Cause I just, I want to know. And I'm in situations where that might be the case. So uh, for, I mean, you could set this up a variety of ways and you could argue, well, what if that shot's at 25 yards instead of 15 or whatever, set up whatever you want, learn what you are capable of based on a set of a a certain set of set of circumstances. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, and just see what you can do. I decided to set up 15 yards, a three by five card representing a relatively small target, like a head 15 yards. And I thought about it. I'm like, well, I want to make sure I can do this in under three seconds. And I decided that I I wanted to test myself drawing from my holster with my typical carry gun using my carry ammo, not my practice ammo, my carry ammo. Is your carry ammo sighted in? Like, do you know where it hits on target based on your point of aim? Do you know that based on a certain uh, distance? And so I asked the question. I said, well, in this gun, I'm, I'm using a P365XL, which is my primary carry gun these days. P365XL. Federal uh, uh, HST 150 grain bullet, hollow point, 15 yards, three by five card, under three seconds. And I was able to make that shot. And I was able to do it multiple times. Well, I uh, able- you, yeah, I was going to say those two things. One, you know, make sure you can do it multiple times, right? Mm-hmm. Me being able to do it once is not necessarily you know, indicative of future mm-hmm. success. The second thing is doing it cold. <clears throat> it's, it's one thing to kind of go to the range, warm up, put 100 rounds to the gun and be like, all right, now I'm going to test myself on this. Yes, I mean that's fine. There's nothing wrong with running tests, but but make sure that we understand that this is a situation where Jack Wilson didn't have any warm up time. Yep. This was cold. You know, this this was I don't know when the last time he had shot his gun was, but it wasn't 30 seconds prior. It mm-hmm. was probably at least days prior, and he had to make the shot. Yep. Now I I, I failed to mention in my so called published Jack Wilson drill, I I said and it should be probably done cold. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, test yourself in that circ- in those circumstances. Now, the day I attempted it with my P365XL, I was not truly cold, uh, but it was the first shot I fired with that gun coming from the holster in that position because I was doing a little bit of practice before that, but it was my competition gun from a 3 o'clock OWB standoff you know, holster. Um, so kind of semi-cold in a way. But but the next time I go to the range, I'm going to definitely do it like straight up cold with my, with the 
round that's in the chamber of my gun right now. And I'm going to test myself on that again. So anyway, I, I think, you know, some, some take, some takeaways there. I think there's a lot of mindset things to consider. I think there's some planning and preparation things that, to take away from this. I think there's some training considerations, both in terms of just general tactics and security stuff, as well as training the, that ultimate of skills, being able to draw out that gun and place a precise shot, you know, on demand, uh, and being able to do that consistently. Uh, know what you are capable of, know what you can do. Don't be taking shots you know you can't make. Can you imagine how how different it would be if somebody here decided they were going to try to be the hero, but in the process accidentally shot an innocent bystander that got in the way? You know, that sort of thing. Muzzle awareness. Be aware of where your gun is pointed at all times. Be thinking about that. That's got to become part of the psyche. I mean, your gun handling, you just it has to be almost automatic, just baked in. That based on a circumstance, you go, this is what I got to do to make sure I'm not muzzling all these other people or myself. Just so many things that we've covered in this episode today. Any any last words, Jacob? No, that's all I had. <laughs> okay. Got it all off my chest. Yeah. All right. Well, we've been uh, over an hour here, uh, which is a little bit longer than, than we typically like to do it, but kind of hard with a subject like this today and so much to talk about. We appreciate all of you for being here with us. Those viewing live had a good crowd that stuck with us for most of the show here. Good comments taking place on the Facebook and YouTube. And uh, those of you listening at home or in your cars or wherever you are, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope you found value in our breakdown and analysis of this church shooting today. Uh, Take something from it and don't have any excuses. Find the next thing that you need to do to be a little bit better prepared and a little bit more willing. All right. That's all I got. A reminder that today's episode is sponsored by LaserX. Head on over to laserapp.com and learn more. Get signed up. All right. You can, you can sign up for monthly access, which is a great way to get started inexpensively, but you might as well just buy the straight up, you know, lifetime access, you know, because I'll tell you what, I've been using Laser uh, app for... I can't remember now, four years at least now, and I still use it and I still find value in it. So, and of course you can check out cert pistols and all the other different training tools. Uh, they have a number of things on their site at laserapp.com. We also sell stuff at concealedcarry.com, like cert pistol. And uh, so, you know, get yourself set up. And this is also something you could set up at home, setting up a challenging, difficult shot. Yes, there's not recoil involved. It doesn't, well, it matters, but it doesn't, really matter. There's a lot of value and a lot of training you can get out of doing dry fire just right at home. All right. The reps is really key. And then take it to the range and take what you learn at home and, and put it to work at the at the range as well. That's that's the key is a, ba- a good balance of good dry fire practice, good consistent reps, and then mix in some really good valuable live fire training as well. That's that's what I've done. It's made a big difference for me. I know it's made a difference for Jacob. Jacob's a better shooter than he was a few years ago. It's true. All right. So, laserapp.com, L-A-S-R-A-P-P.com. And don't forget to check out the Shooter Ready Challenge, shooterreadychallenge.com. And don't forget to go subscribe to our new channel on gunstreamer.com. Thanks so much for watching, guys, and listening. Uh, We'll be at SHOT Show next week. It's going to be a busy week. We will not have normal broadcast content. Uh, We probably have a few lives here and there throughout the week, I would guess. Uh, but uh, don't count on any like live podcasts like you're typically used to. Um, but I will get some. I know I'm interviewing Max Michelle 
and uh, Hannah Billado from Six Sour. I love Hannah. She's a great gal, uh, law enforcement officer, and she's she's a heck of a shooter. Jacob and I were in a class with her at Six Sour Academy for for part of that. Anyway, she she did. Uh, she's a rock star. So I'll be talking with Hannah. I'll be talking with Max Michelle. People probably look forward to the Max Michelle interview. So there'll be a few few interviews that we do there for the podcast. We'll get those published when we can and uh, look forward to it. And also all the content coming on our YouTube and Gunstreamer channel. We'll be publishing a lot of videos next week. So there you go. That's all I got. Jacob, thanks for doing the show with me today. And thank you to Matthew, even though he had to leave early. Uh, but uh, with that, we'll let you go with a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe. So you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.